Welcome to the Jesus Famous Youth Teachings Podcast. Our vision is to see Jesus famous in the lives of the youth of our church. We want to see youth have opportunities for them to come to know Jesus in a complete and whole way and be united together in love, and most importantly, strengthened in the moments of discouragement. Jesus Famous Youth meets on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and has a middle school program available on Sundays at 11 a.m. Now, let's get into our teaching. Well, hey guys, good to see everybody. How's everybody doing? You feeling good? Awesome. All right, Mika, thumbs up. Okay, then we're all good. Mika, if you're good, we're all good. All right, we are going to be in the Word tonight, Acts chapter 6. As Nate said, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to get a Bible into your hands if you do not have one. So if you do have one, go ahead, Acts chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. Make some noise. Get that Bible. All right, tonight, so as we continue Acts 6, the message is called Problem Solution. Problem Solution. That's what we're going to look at. So you guys there, if you're there, say got it. If you're not there, say, don't got it. Don't got it. Okay. We'll have a little bit of patience, not too much, just a little bit. All right. I love it. All right. Well, let me pray for us really quick before we get into the word and, uh, and what the Lord wants to say to us tonight. So pray with me. Guys, uh, or <laughs> Lord, <laughs> you are guys. Jesus, thank you so much that we are here tonight. We want to hear from you. Lord, I thank you for every young man and young woman here. They come in with, um, Lord, so many things that, Lord, are going on in their lives, so many things that, Lord, they need your wisdom, direction on. And, Lord, most of all, they just need you. You are the solution. Jesus, you are the one that we need. So we need more of you tonight. So, Jesus, increase our love for you. Increase our devotion to you tonight as a result of our time in your word. Lord, uh, spur us on to love each other better as a result of this time. Thank you so much. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. All agree and said? Amen. Amen. So the title is Problem Solution. I tend to be someone who likes pointing out problems and finding solutions. Is there anybody else like that in the room? You kind of just, you kind of see problems and you kind of like finding solutions for them. I got to say, I think that this desire and this, um, if it is an ability in me, came um, early on when I was introduced to a certain 8-bit Nintendo game called Solomon's Key. So Solomon's Key is a game that I've never met another human who's ever played it um, because it's one of those really dorky video games that I just really got into. Any, like, dorky video game players? You, You like the weird kind of just random, you are my people. Thank you. I appreciate you. We need to start a small group after this. Just a, Maybe it's more of a therapy group. But the idea behind Solomon's Key is it was just a level game. The first level was a very simple, you got to find the key that gets you out of this kind of closed room. And the key was the solution. And then once you got out of that first level, the next level, you had to find the, the next key to get you out of this closed room. A very simple concept. But guys, it was intense. 
I mean, I remember as my brothers were, you know, older brothers were playing sports and doing uh, kind of normal cool things. I was in my room playing Solomon's Key and I was trying to get to the highest level possible. I think I got to like somewhere in the 30s, which (laughs) I'm just saying was pretty good. Um, At least for me, it was. (laughs) I don't know anybody else that ever played the game, so I don't know if it was actually good. But the idea was you you had a, a sense of satisfaction when you can solve the problem. And I don't know about you, but I, I love that. When you solve a problem, maybe it's a, a hard math problem. Maybe it's something at school. Maybe it's something in a relationship with a friend. Maybe, maybe there's something you're facing even as a family that, that is a problem. But then when you find that solution, doesn't it feel good? Now, what we're going to see here in Acts chapter 6 is we're going to see the church facing a problem. Now, where, where have we come? Remember, the gospel has been spreading all throughout Jerusalem. God has been doing a great work with the first Christians, right? And there's many that have been added to the church. At some point, um, or, or some believe at this point, there's maybe around 10,000 believers that have come to know Christ. We know that there was a huge response to Peter's sermon when he preached his sermon and 3,000 plus came to know him. We know that many more were added after that. And as the church is growing and in this incredible place, what have we also seen start to happen? There's been attacks against the growth of the church. You see, the enemy doesn't like when God's church is healthy and growing and vibrant. So what does he try to do? Well, he tries to send some persecution, pressure from without. Remember, the apostles were arrested. They were tried. They were beaten. But did they give up? Did they stop preaching the gospel? No, No, they did not. What did they do? It kind of was like fuel for them. They, They continued on and they were emboldened and they were impassioned to continue to preach the gospel. So that didn't work. That tactic, uh, persecution, that didn't work. What did we look at last week? hypocrisy or corruption from within, Ananias and Sapphira lying before the Holy Spirit. And what did God do? He showed them that's not going to go well in my church. I want to protect my church. I want to protect my people. And so corruption from within, the enemy tried that one. It didn't work. What is he going to try today? Well, his next kind of attack, if you will, is he's going to try to bring dissension He's going to try to bring division within the church. You know what? The enemy loves to use this one. He loves to use division. He loves to use gossip. He loves to use backbiting. All of these things that he's been trying to do. We're going to see the early church face this problem. But man, we're going to see them by the power of the Holy Spirit respond in a way that was good and beneficial for all. I love this passage. In fact, Nate gave me just like a really sweet passage It's one of his favorites. I know that like his calling in ministry and what the Lord has called him to, a lot of that even can, I think, be found here in this passage being word and prayer ministry. And so I appreciate it, Nate. Thank you so much. Did we get that on the recording? Okay, good. Um, Let's read read the passage really quick. I want to read through verse 7. We're going to focus most of our time, verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to give a little introduction to what Nate's going to be talking about really next week, which, which is this guy's name, uh, guy's life, Stephen, all right? All right, so let's start in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, look down, Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. All right, stop right there. 
This is the problem. We have found the problem. What is going on? Well, we got to describe who these two people were. We've got a group of people known as the Hellenists. These are all Christians. These are people that follow Jesus as Messiah. One of the groups is called the Hellenists. And I remember reading this when I was young and being like, oh, bummer. They're probably like the Christians that aren't as good because the word hell is in their name. But that's just my immature understanding of names in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. That's not really anything to say about who they are, but I just thought that was interesting. But they are a group of believers who are Greek-speaking Jews. They were those Jews who were more inclined to embrace Greek culture and mostly were from this thing called the diaspora, which was this kind of spreading out of the Jewish people all throughout the Roman Empire. All you need to know is they were just kind of looked at from ethnic Jews, kind of looked down on a little bit. They were maybe kind of looked at as more of like a mixed Jewish race. And so you had these people who had now come to know Jesus. They'd gathered back in Jerusalem, and now they're following the Lord. So that's one group. The other group is the Hebrews. These were those that were uh, inclined. They spoke Aramaic, which was the kind of the language of the day for the Jewish people. They inclined themselves more towards Jewish culture. And they thought that the original Hebrew Bible was the only uh, translation, that the Bible in Hebrew was the only translation that was really worthy to be read. Whereas the Hellenists, they read the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation. So you have these two different groups of people. And here's what the gospel does. It brings them together. Two different groups of people that are now together serving the same Savior. Isn't that one, isn't that a cool thing about the gospel? We have a lot of different people in this room, a lot of different backgrounds and socioeconomic kind of scales. We have different ethnicities represented. And the cool thing about that is that's the plan and that's God's plan all along in the gospel. That those things wouldn't define us per se. They do describe us. In fact, even in heaven, we are going to have every tongue, tribe, and nation represented before the throne of God. Isn't that cool? So it's not something that is uh, to be maybe just forgotten or, or looked down on your ethnicity, your race, whatever it is. That's something that God has given you that is going to actually be something that we get to uh, celebrate and enjoy, the different diversity of the body. But I just love that God brings these two people together, these two groups together. But, but there is a problem, isn't there? What's happening? Well, you guys, did you see? There was a complaint. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews because their widows, the Hellenist widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, what's the daily distribution? What, basically, it's kind of like the, the early uh, kind of church's way of um, pr providing for the needs of the poor. And this was something most likely that they adopted from um, even Judaism, that God commanded in the book of Exodus uh, that, that the people would always look out and, and provide for the poor. In fact, if they failed to do that, God had some pretty serious words to say about them. So the Jewish people, they were faithful to remain um, a, a cognizant of the needs of the poor. And so as these Jewish um, Christians started to embrace Jesus as Lord, what probably happened is in the temple, in the synagogues, where they were providing this service, those uh, uh, Jews that were more leaning towards Judaism probably said, hey, you're doing this Jesus thing? No, we're not, gonna, we're not responsible for you. And so the church 
the way Jesus ended up, uh, uh, these believers that followed Jesus ended up providing their own service, most likely, to their Christian believers. And so what happened is you have these two groups coming together, but then all of a sudden somebody notices, hey, our widows are like, they're kind of being overlooked. They're not being treated the same way as the Hebrews. Now, it's interesting because here, the scriptures don't tell us necessarily whether this was intentional, whether this actually was occurring, but it could have been happening. Even for like a good reason, maybe, maybe, maybe someone didn't actually uh, mean to do this, but maybe it actually was happening where the Hellenist widows were being overlooked and they were being um, unintentionally wronged this way. And I think um, I like what somebody says. Satan loves to use an unintentional wrong to begin a conflict. I think if we were just trying to think um, maybe uh, the best of these disciples, the best of these apostles, they may have intended not to have this happen, but you know what happened? And I want to just, before we move on to that, I want to do a little side note here. These widows, the fact is they were being neglected. And I just wonder for any of us, can we relate to that feeling? Can we relate to feeling overlooked? Can we relate to feeling that someone has ignored us? And I don't know if you have brothers or sisters. I happen to come from a family of five total kids, three older brothers, one younger sister. I'm kind of like, not fully in the middle, but I'm kind of like down the list a little bit. And if if any of you have that kind of similar family structure, I grew up just kind of wanting to know what my place was. I heard uh, a lot because my oldest brother, he kind of left the house when he was 18. He left. He got kicked out, to be honest. That's what happened. Uh, He was doing some stuff. My parents were like, don't do that. He did it. And so they're like, there's the door. And that was kind of how it worked. And so I had this kind of understanding, okay, I don't want to go that route. And then my two brothers above me, they were like best buds. They were like best friends. And then the, the sibling below me was my sister. And so There was only so much I could relate to with her. And so I kind of felt like, well, my brothers have each other. My sister's like, they always called her the princess. So what does that make me? You ever felt like that? And you don't have to raise your hand, but I am going to go and ask every one of your parents whether you feel this way. No, I'm kidding. But the idea is sometimes we just feel neglected. We feel overlooked. And I love that in the scriptures here, we have a situation where God wanted to highlight these women. He wanted to highlight the dynamic that was happening, not just because there was greater structure that needed to come to the church, but because these women needed to know that they weren't overlooked, that there was someone who did see them. The Spirit brought this to attention, and I think this is a thread all throughout Scripture. I think about the story in the Old Testament. You guys remember the story of Abraham and Sarah and and Hagar? Um, Do you remember the, um, the woman that... Abraham ended up having a child with because Sarah said, hey, well, we're not having a kid. God may be delaying this whole thing, so let's just make this happen. Do you remember the the kind of difficulty that she went through having a child and then being basically pushed out from, from the home because of Sarah? This is not working. And there she is feeling alone, and yet she speaks and declares in Genesis 16, I love this verse, and I think this just sums up our God really well. He, uh, she says, thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer, refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? 
You are the God who sees me. And I just want to just, as an aside, as we continue through this, I want to just remind you, if you do feel that way, overlooked, unseen, there is a God who sees you. And just like Hagar came to remember and and understand, God sees you right now. He knows what you're going through. And I just hope you are encouraged by that. As we see here, let's continue to go on. As I said, so here's the problem. There's this kind of um, complaint. Uh, Again, we don't know if this was intentional, but even if it was unintentional, Satan wanted to capitalize this to bring division. Now, I, I was just trying to think through this. Imagine if this happened in the church today, in the age of social media, in the age of kind of our digital landscape. How do you think that this would go? Viral, absolutely. This is unjust. I mean, uh, unjust, unjust. Thank you. There you go. That one. Uh, this is unjust. I mean, can you believe? Uh, so uh, we could take something like this, and the enemy would love to just blow this up without getting us to a solution. Satan will try to capitalize on anything he can to bring division. He takes a little tiny thing. Maybe something that's unintentional, maybe an overlooked thing, maybe even, you know, uh, I remember counseling someone that came into my office and it took me a while to figure out what they were um, really concerned about. And it got down to where they had an issue with someone and the issue wasn't even fully with the person, but it, it was spawned off of a look that another person gave them that they attributed to being influenced by the person that I knew. <laughs> if it's confusing, it's, it was confusing for me as well. And so I, by, by the time we were able to talk through it for a good hour, hour and a half, I realized the hurt that she felt was, was due to a look that someone gave her that she felt had been influenced by another person, basically, that she um, felt that this person was spreading gossip about her. And then I I basically got to share with her as I had the other person in the room. This person said, that is totally not true. I'm so sorry you've been feeling that way. But the enemy used just a little look that was taken the wrong way to cause her to feel as though she was being talked about and gossiped about. And, And it broke my heart that she was living for months under a delusion and under a deception. And isn't that what the enemy loves to do in the church? We're going to talk about ways that we can make sure that, man, we are not part of that problem. But it made me think of this I heard once, um, how one little thing can make such a difference. When we get context, when we get understanding, it makes such a difference. I heard this before. If you take the statement, let's eat, Grandma. We can add that, right? You see, just a a great sentence. You take away one punctuation, what does it become? Let's eat, Grandma which is terrible and bad. I don't know why I put it on the board. No, just kidding. So you take something simple, but isn't that what the enemy loves to do? He just loves to take away a little comma and change the whole meaning of it. And so because the Lord is passionate about um, unity and passionate about his church, I love what he shows us in this situation here. Um, he shows us the solution. What is the solution here? Can we look at that? Let's look at verse two uh, once again as we go and uh, check out the solution. So it goes on and it says, and the 12, this is the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples. So there were many of them, not sure how many they were in this gathering and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. 
Therefore, here's the solution. Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, so what is their solution? What are they going to do with this problem? They're going to find a way to meet the need. I love this. This is like, um, if I could go back in time and see the apostles, I would give them a high five because there has been something amazing that has happened. Do you guys remember the disciples that were with Jesus when the, um, the, the crowds gathered and we have the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and they were all hungry and they were like ready to, to eat and they all came to Jesus. Do you remember what the disciples were telling them to do? Send them away. We don't, we don't have enough food. Get, get rid of this crowd. This is a problem. We don't have a solution. Just they, they got to figure it out. You remember the Canaanite woman who brought her demon-possessed daughter to Jesus? And, and what did the disciples do when she was wanting to get close to Jesus? No, he's, he's busy. He doesn't have time for this. Look at what they do when they're faced with the problem. They don't say, you know what? They're going to have to deal with it. Just go back to Judaism. I think they got plenty of supplies and plenty of food there. No, they come up with a solution. They say, let's meet the need. And I just think that that's great. Here's what I found in the church. There are going to be things in the church Because the church is filled with people, and because I know myself, and I kind of know you, and I know other people, people can be messy. I'm not talking about, like, your room. Like, anybody, like, you have a messy room? You guys proud to say? Okay, awesome. You know what? I will have to say, I had a messy room most of my life. Don't tell your parents, because now I'm giving you fodder. I had a messy room most of my life. I got married, and then I, I wanted things nice and tidy. And so I changed, but it wasn't until I actually had someone else that I was living with that I wanted to kind of impress. So anyway, if you're like, hey, Pastor Matt, he had a messy room all all through his, you know, teen years. But anyway, um, hopefully you take more away from this than that. But the idea is that uh, we, um, we live in the mess. Like, that's what we're called to do. And there are going to be times that you know, as, as you go along and as you perceive, and, and, and I know even in our, in our age where everything is, um, you know, available to see, every, every failure of the church is available to see online and, and, and through the media and all of those things, there is going to be a, a level of mess that is just part of being with people and being a person. Now, those that are caused by leadership, that's, this is not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about self-inflicted mess that leaders who should represent the Lord end up doing. I'm talking about the mess of just, hey, this is a problem, and it's a good problem because we're growing as a church. (laughs) So now we got to figure out how to care for everybody. So I want us to be understanding that there is going to be messes that we need to seek the Lord and ask the Lord for wisdom on. But what is the solution here? Let's talk about the solution here. Okay, he says, or excuse me, the apostles say, we got to find seven men who are of good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit, um, because we need to devote ourselves to the preaching and teaching of the word. Now, when I first read this, there was part of me that was like, guys, it kind of sounds a little high and mighty. Like, we are preachers of the word. We must devote ourselves. We cannot wait tables. You know, does that, anybody else, maybe I'm the only one, did you kind of feel that a little bit? Like, really, guys, Is is that how this is? But that's not what is happening here. In fact, the apostles, they weren't saying this work was beneath them. 
Instead, they recognized that the need was still present, that they preach the word and that they pray. This is what they were commissioned to do by the Lord, to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And what they see now is there is a need. And imagine if they were the apostles that said, okay, I have to be everything and I got to do every little thing. And so everything that comes up, I got to be the solution for. Notice what would have happened. These seven men that the scripture highlights now, we would have never heard about them. These men would not have been given an opportunity. Maybe the scripture wouldn't have continued to tell the story of Stephen, which then led to the story of Paul. And so the idea is not, hey, man, well, there's better positions. And so we just got to ask for the better position. And if we don't get that, then I guess we'll just kind of serve in this way. Man, the body of Christ is integral. Every part is needed. Some of us are uh, toes and some of us are hands. Some of us are eyes and some of us are, you know, arms. And I heard recently somebody say, some of us are appendixes. Like you're there and we don't know why you exist, but... Once in a while, you, you kind of get inflamed and then you start messing things up. But we still love you and you're still a part of the church. So the idea is there isn't something greater or lesser here. It's the apostles knowing what their calling was. And I love that because as a pastor, I know there are things that I am gifted in and I know there are things I am not gifted in. If I try to do everything in my power to to grow at the things I'm not gifted in because, oh man, I just got to be good at everything, then I'm neglecting the real gift that God has given me that I need to share with others. And so I want to just encourage you as as a little application here. What is it that God has gifted you with? You know, some of you, you're like the the Hellenists that found that, hey, you know, we have a need here. Some of you, I think, have the gift of mercy where you see needs. And maybe you haven't even recognized that that's a gift. But maybe you just start seeing needs. You start seeing people and there's a compassion that you feel with people. I don't think that's just a predisposition or or a personality thing. I think the Lord has gifted you that way. And man, I would encourage you to pray about that and ask the Lord, man, how God can this be used for your kingdom to build and to grow? Okay, So what do they do? So they find seven men of good repute. They find uh, these men that are going to be able to um, lead them uh, to oversee the daily distribution, which was a a huge need. And so um, I I love that the scriptures say that this uh, this saying pleased the group. Mark this as one of the only times in history where uh, the church was completely united <laughs> around a decision that leadership made, right? It was like, this is a good decision. We like this. And so what do they do? They install these men, Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. The, the narrative will continue with him. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, and Pumba, and oh no, actually, Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And here's the result. The word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what's the result? Is it a good result? It is a good result. The needs were met. The gospel continued to be preached. And then what? God continued to increase the number Verse 7 there, this is kind of where the first section of Acts comes to a close. The first section of Acts being, how did the gospel spread throughout Jerusalem? And from this point on, verse 8 on, we are going to see how the gospel was carried beyond Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. 
But I just love this, um, this, uh, this passage because what, what it tells me is that there are going to be those times, guys, where we may see something, we may not understand why is this happening. But man, if we can come with a, with, a, with a heart of humility and prayer, wanting to meet the needs, and we can bring that, but whether before the leadership, maybe you see a need here in JFY, and you're like, man, why do they do it that way? You know what I've learned in church is leadership isn't thinking about every single thing. Sometimes it just takes a perspective. Maybe it's you or maybe it's somebody else and, and they bring it up and they go, man, have you guys thought of this? And it's like, man, we haven't really thought of that. Maybe there is a time where we're like, yeah, we have thought of it and we talked about this and we did this and here's the decision we made after a lot of prayer. But man, maybe it is just kind of going before the Lord and then maybe feeling led to bring that to someone else and be a part of the solution. Here's what I'm going to challenge you guys not to do because there can be a a tendency to say, well, this is an intentional oversight. This is intentional that this group is being neglected. And if we start to do that and then we start to talk about it and we start to say, well, this or that, and yeah, this is probably why, and we come up with our own narrative of what's happening without actually being part of the solution, what are we doing? We're gossiping. We're being a part of the division. And I think we just need to be careful that we um, know, man, the enemy loves to do that. I I heard a story of, um, you know, four pastors. They're away at a pastor's conference. And they had this moment where they were being really honest with each other. The first pastor, he just felt like he could be pretty transparent. And he said, hey, guys, I need to let you know I'm I'm really struggling. Um, I've got a gambling addiction. I don't know who to tell, but I feel like I can trust you guys. And so I've been kind of spending my, my family's savings, and they don't know it, so I just need to confess this before you. The other pastor, he felt encouraged to open up as well, and he said, hey, guys, I, I need to let you know, like, I drink a little too much. You know, I, I can't stop after one drink, and so I feel like alcohol has kind of consumed part of my life. The other pastor, he said, you know, um, guys, I want to let you know that, uh, you know, I, I have had lust in my heart and I feel like I haven't been able to get control of this. I don't know who to tell. And so I'm telling you guys. And then the fourth pastor said, man, I'm so thankful that you guys have shared this with me because my sin is the sin of gossip and I cannot wait to get home and tell somebody. <laughs> so we don't want to be that guy. <laughs> We don't want to be the person that is going to <clears throat> be the one to pass uh, these things on. And, and I want to say a few things about that in a minute. But before we do, let's close with verses 8 through 15. <clears throat> and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, there were somewhere around three to 400 different synagogues, kind of think like churches around our time today, different synagogues with their own different flavor. This one was of the freedmen and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But listen to this. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Isn't that so cool? How the Lord empowered this man in such a way that, man, they tried to combat him. They tried to come against them. They tried to speak against them, but they couldn't. So what did they do? They secretly instigated men who said, well, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Does that sound like anybody else? What does that sound like? We've kind of heard this before. Huh? 
raising up those that are falsely accusing another person? What's always the right answer? Jesus, good job. <laughs> A plus. Doesn't it kind of sound like Jesus, right? They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses that said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That is so cool. I, I don't think this was like, you know, the angels that we have depicted today. Most of them are babies, uh, inappropriately dressed. I don't think it was like, oh, he's got these chubby cheeks, you know, and like, he looks like, he looks like a baby. Um, I don't think it was like that. I think there was something that God was doing supernaturally to show the kind of person he was on the inside. God was allowing that to be exhibited on the outside to where I just wonder with all these accusations, if they were just thinking, this is not, this is not right. <laughs> look at this man. In the same way that, that Pilate, right, could, could look at Jesus and just go, I find no fault in this man. Here you have Stephen in the same way, being accused, but man, their arguments are not going to hold water because uh, I, I like how one person said it about Stephen, what we're going to find next week. Some people are looking for an open door, like asking for an open door to evangelize, to preach. Uh, Stephen was looking for a crack in the window. <laughs> he was just any opportunity. All right, I'm going to take it. And he did. And so we're going to look at that more next week. A few, few closing thoughts. All right, to wrap this up, as I said, church is filled with people. People are messy. I'm messy. You're messy. Therefore, church can be messy, right? What does this mean? This doesn't mean we bail on the church. Maybe God has given you insight into an area. Maybe you look and you see a particular need. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Commit that to prayer. Pray about that. What, maybe God would have you be a part of the solution. Maybe God would have you give insight into leadership. Maybe you can be someone who can meet the needs of those around you. Because guys, there are so many needs represented in this room. That myself, that Pastor Nate, that the, the wonderful leaders we have, we're not all going to be able to meet. Maybe you are called to meet the needs of someone even next to you. Sometimes the issues we see are not always problems that need a solution. Sometimes they are tensions that need to be managed. Maybe that's part of the deal. And part of that is just inviting the wisdom and the understanding of leadership. So first, know that, man, we are called to the mess. Number two, gossip and division can slow the work of the Lord. So commit to being a person that doesn't entertain gossip. If you've been gossiped about, don't go gossiping about how you've been gossiped about. That just kind of creates this never-ending cycle. In fact, Matthew 18 outlines for us how we're to approach someone when we've been gossiped. And, and the idea is not that you automatically go to your youth leaders or your youth pastor. The, the idea is that you go to that person that maybe has talked about you in a way that, that doesn't represent who you are, whether on social media or with other friends. It's to go to that person and just say, hey, man, I, I saw this. I want to talk to you about that because that, that's not me and that hurts. That's not my heart. I'm sorry if you felt neglected or overlooked or whatever it may be. And then if that person hears you and they respond and they're humble and they go, you're right, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. The Bible says you've won that person back. But if not, 
What does it say? It says, take another person with you. So give some time and then take another person. This isn't someone that you can get in your arsenal and like, oh, yeah, here we go. Coming guns blazing. Yeah, baby. This is someone, maybe a non-biased witness, maybe just someone that's there with you. I remember being a part of this in a youth group. Somebody asked me, and I was like, oh, you want me to go talk to somebody? I was like the second party. I showed up. The guy like confronted this other guy, and I was like, well, I don't know if I totally agree with that, but we're kind of trying to do the Bible thing, so right on. And the guy actually responded to him. I was like, sweet, he thinks you're prideful. You said you kind of struggle with that, so good deal. But, but that's the idea. And then third, if they still don't listen, then you bring it before the church and you get the church involved. In fact, I, I would guess if, one of your, uh, if you come to one of the leaders and say, hey, this person's talking about me, spreading whatever about me, this would be the council. Hey, have you talked to them about that yet? Man, there could be so much that is just taken care of that the enemy doesn't have an opportunity to compound and build upon if we really were to follow his word. Finally, I want you to notice because um, I didn't really point it out too much, but in the idea here where the apostles said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, there's so much I could say about this. But I remember, I'll close with this, there was um, a conference I attended years ago as a young 20-year-old um, man wanting to get involved in ministry. And the best teaching that was there, these were all kinds of pastors and leaders that were pouring into us as youth workers. The best teaching that was there by far was from this man named John Corson, who's a great Bible teacher and pastor. And um, he ended up teaching this message. And, and the application, I still remember it today. You want to hear what it was? And this is all like youth leaders, youth pastors. Here we are in, in the throes of ministry. What is it that we needed to hear at this conference? Read your Bible and pray every single day. That was it. And we had a share time afterwards as the conference is wrapping up. And guy after guy, woman after woman got up and was like, I just want you to know, like, the thing that really spoke to me was that I need to read my Bible and pray every single day. And guys, my point is this. It never, it, it never is less than that in our Christian life. I want to encourage you to read your Bible and pray every single day. Man, this Bible, it is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And man, it's a challenging book at times too, right? There's a lot in there. There's things in there that I'm still, I scratch my head at. I'm like, Lord, I kind of, in heaven, I'm going to talk to you about a bunch of stuff. But man, it is, it is such a beautiful thing because this is the way that we can truly get to know the heart of the Lord for us, for the world, who he is. And so what I want to encourage you, what I want to challenge you, if we're going to talk about it in small groups, how is it that you can grow in Bible and prayer? Because that's what the early apostles were about. They saw the priority of that. Imagine if they would have said, all right, we're going to drop the Bible and prayer thing. We'll try this other thing and just put all our focus on that. I think a healthy church is doing both. Prioritizing the word of God and prayer and prioritizing the needs of those that are uh, less fortunate. And so we want to be a, a, a youth group, man, that, that grows in, in Bible reading and prayer every single day. I'll encourage you, the book of James, the Gospels, Ephesians, if you don't know where to start, start in one of those. Sound good? All right, let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for these, um, these guys and gals. Lord, thank you for uh, just the work that you are doing in JFY to... Lord, um, draw us closer to you. And as we look at the book of Acts, Lord, and studying this early church that wasn't perfect, but Lord, thank you that they, they, they grew, they responded in these ways to meet needs, to be open, to keep the main thing the main thing. Lord, I pray that 
Calvary Monterey, that JFY would be a place that does the same. Lord, would you give us just such a strong commitment to your scriptures and, and to prayer and to the spiritual disciplines and as well that we would have eyes open, arms open to the needs around us, Lord. We love you so much. Pray your blessing on our small group time now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at Youth Group on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. If you'd like more information about JFY or have a question, reach out to us at joshuas at calvary.com or DM us on Instagram at ymcalvary.